This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Besotted Reloaded, a series of podcasts, YouTube videos and articles where we take a look back on the most exciting, unusual and memorable periods in Brentford Football Club history. In this two-episode series of Besotted Reloaded, we look back to the year 1988. This was the year that third division club Brentford FC were set to embark on their most exciting cup run in over half a century. It was the season Brentford reached a final eight of the prestigious FA Cup and was only 90 minutes away from a historic semi-final at Hillsborough. I'm Billy Grant, and in this two-part podcast, myself and Dave Lane will be joined by Brentford legend Alan Cockrum, who played a massive part in the cup run. We will listen to the players, the managers and the fans' memories from that exciting period. Please make sure you also check out part two of this podcast on prideofwest.london, as well as the accompanying 88-89 cup run article on besotted.com, and the Cup Run TV news interviews and footage on the Besotted 1992 YouTube channel. So 89, Cup Run. We went on Cup Run on 88-89. I'm Billy Grant here, and I'm here with Dave Lane and a Brentford legend, Alan Cockrum. He was absolutely crucial to that Cup Run that we had in 88-89, which is one of my favourite memories of being a Brentford fan. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Bill, Laney. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, all man. good, thank you, mate. Good to chat to you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Now, good to get you in the studio, in the besotted studio, in the virtual joint, as we call it. And we're going to go back, we're going to hark back to some good times. We're going to hark back to the 88 89 cup run period. It's a period when Brentford were just sort of kind of coming into their own as such. And, uh, we started to sign a few new players here or there, and one of these players was a guy called Alan Cockrum. Just tell us a little bit about it. How did you come about you know, signing for Brentford? And just give us a little bit of your history, Alan. Signing for the Bees, mate. Uh, bizarre, really. I was at Tottenham for nearly 10 years with Steve, Steve Perriman. Um, and when I left Spurs, I had a short spell at Bristol Rovers and then decided to uh, trade my skills in the States. So I went to America. My uncle was a referee out in America on the West Coast outside San Francisco. And I ended up playing in the indoor league there when it was <laughs> when it was first starting off. Um, I was there longer than I should be, to be honest. And I picked up an Achilles tendon injury and come home. And when I come home, I, I found out Steve was at Brentford and literally got his number, phoned him up and went down um, Bramer Road for treatment under the 
what should we say, uh, the lovely man that was Roy Clare. So I was getting treatment for Achilles tendon injury down at Brentford, full stop. That is it. In the meantime, that I'm getting treatment and I'm getting on my way back to fitness, John Lacey, who, who was the old player for Tottenham, was uh, manager of um, St Albans. And he got in top contact with me and he said, do you want to come down and do a bit of fitness work, maybe a, play a couple of games while you're in rehab and stuff like that? So I did. And that's how it all, the, the ball started rolling. So move on a few weeks, four to six week, weeks recovered from the injury. I'm training with Brentford, but playing games for St Albans. So I was playing uh, that, that level non-league football and I had scored 29 goals from midfield before Christmas. And Steve phoned me Boxing Day, I can't remember if it was 86, 87, something like that, and asked me to sign on bo Boxing Day phone call to sign for the bees from St Albans. So that's, that's what I did. It's amazing, amazing. So, and I'm just wondering, because you, I mean, you did, you really did kind of do your, your groundwork. I mean, you talked about San Francisco Flyers, Bristol Rovers, you were at San Jose, you were at Spandra as well, St Albans. And then obviously you did your bees time. Uh, where you scored 14 goals in 90 matches, but also you did your Wokings, your Reddings, Fandras, Woking, St. Albans, Chertsey, Leverhead. I mean, you were a real sort of kind of, I say, lower league sort of kind of grinder, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's, it's finding your feet at a time when my type of player was kind of going out of existence. Um, so the moving about was literally a few games here, a bit of a journeyman after, after uh, coming back from the States and then after the Brentford uh, time I was there. And really you was, what's the right way of saying this? You guys will understand this. I was kind of really liked or not liked in, in some respect because someone, sometimes you was called a luxury player. Sometimes you weren't doing enough work. But it was of an era when that was going out of fashion and we were playing really, I mean, at some point, playing centre-half in centre-midfield. Um, so it was a difficult time for me personally after Brentford. It worked out well in the end. But yeah, and certainly my end, the end product at Brentford was, was not the best experience, if I'm honest. What was it like after, you know, you said you'd been at Tottenham for 10 years and that's a very, very sort of, um, prestigious and kind of um, luxurious experience. I know, you know, as, as a kid, you um, and as an apprentice, it's very different to what it's like now, and you probably had to graft a lot more. But you were surrounded by, you know, great facilities and, and, and the best coaches. What, what was it like when you kind of had to leave that? Was that, was that difficult to adjust? Yeah, 100%. The, you know, you've got to imagine growing up at a club. I went there when I was 12, stroke 13. And I left 10 years, nine, 10 years later. And I'd grown up through the system right from schoolboy, juniors, youth, reserves and first team. That, let's be honest, that was the squad. There was no U, U3s and U19s and all that. You had that. But more than that, we grew up at a club that was very advanced for the time that, you know, the 79, 80, when they're, you know, when they're flying to the World Cup, Birkinshaw's flying the world to the World Cup and I'm training every single day with internationals 
I mean, the whole club was was international. So you don't re realise that as a kid. You don't realise it because you've got it, haven't you? You've had it for, for 10 years. So when you when you left there, it was a culture shock. Um, and an example of that was, I mean, we were fed Dover Soul. Our pre-match meal was Dover Soul at Tottenham. And the only reason I had it, I didn't have a clue about Dover Soul. The only reason I had it was because it was the most expensive thing on the menu. So when I went to Bristol Rovers under Bobby Gould, he's got the Friday tick list of what you want for your pre-match on the Saturday. And he said, Cochran, what's your pre-match? And I went, Dover Soul Boss. And he went, no, beans on toast or eggs on toast. <laughs> that was that. I always remember that. That's the one, what should we say, smack down to earth when you realise you're not at that club anymore. And, and, I, and I guess, I guess um, having Steve Perriman and, and Phil Holder to kind of be there and kind of make those make it feel familiar but i bet that was a kind of a very important and a very precious thing for you to have yeah i mean steve knew me anyway i didn't know phil phil was at tottenham before i before i there then he went to palace and that yeah to have steve there you kind of knew what he was walking into at brentford really because all the training um was the same as what we'd done at spurs very technical lots of football um lots of team play um, and a bit of freedom, actually, if I'm honest. Just a bit of interest, though, because you were talking about, you know, your Dover soul. You're talking about sort of playing with internationals. Did that mean that when you came to Brentford, you were almost like a bit of a bit of a lad? You're a little bit kind of maybe you thought not say you thought you were above it all, but, you know, you've been playing in the big time. So did that sort of kind of uh, that aura sort of kind of grace you when you were at Brentford? I don't think I was that type of person, Bill. You, you could be like that, but you've got to remember that I was at, St Albans as well so I'd kind of had, it's not like I went from Tottenham straight to Brentford you know I've been out in the States uh, playing out there and scrimping a living and then I'd come back and gone to St Albans so you know if you want to go from Tottenham to St Albans it's a bigger drop isn't it in that sense but I was more than happy to get fit there and play really well because I was training full-time at Brentford and getting a few quid for playing for St Albans so not really. And also, I knew a few of the lads. And I knew Jonesy anyway before that because he was um, played against each other at youth level. You talked about yourself being a luxury player um, or being seen as a luxury player by some people. Yeah. Describe what type of player you were. I think that luxury player to me means you just stand around and when you get the ball, you do something. But I don't think I was ever like that. If, you, if I had the... the the game monitor on me now of the kilometres run, I'd be up there with everyone else. There's no doubt about that. But because I wouldn't, what's the right word, succumb to certain orders, shall we say. So I wouldn't put the ball in certain areas if I, if I didn't think it was right. So I had a brain of my own. I was brought up to, you know, to be a bit more individualistic. So people then can judge you as a luxury player again i had longer air so if you look at the team pictures i'm the only one with longer air so if you don't know something you're just looking at them. You have the short rolled up you've done a bit of a wiggle um when you scored you could be perceived at that but I, I i i reckon i worked as hard as anyone else and certainly in training there was jonesy number one fitness wise and on the bleak test and all the training i was second so it's just perception rather than reality, I think. And just coming back to this, because obviously that season was a great season for us. We got on a cup run, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I'm just wondering, you've joined Brentford. Uh, Brentford are in the, the, the Division 3 at the time, the third tier of football. 
we weren't particularly successful before that. We were all right. We were like a middling team. We always kind of did all right, but we had some good players. I mean, just could you describe what was happening, you know, in and around Brentford at the time? What, what your thoughts of Brentford probably even before you joined them? And also just the football and what was happening in and around football at that particular time? It, f- football at Brentford was really enjoyable. Training, we, what people don't remember, or they, they might remember, we were a, a solid bunch of lads. So from Terry Evans to Billy, to me, Jonesy, Cadet, um, Bliss and all that, we were best mates. We used to go to uh, the boulevard every Saturday night together. When we come back from away games, we used to go to Avon Stables. We knew the DJs there. So we were a good, but we were all of similar age, kind of that middle 20 period. Um, and then training to me at Brentford was, it was almost like a nursery of Tottenham. Because you imagine Steve's come from Spurs, obviously. So I've done all the training before, all his little one, uh, uh, two-on-two moves. You warmed up as a pair doing all your skills. You've done a bit of shooting. It was all on quality rather than just running running your your gonads off, shall we say. So it, it was based on, on quality. Didn't mind you getting the ball wide to the fullbacks and playing from, from there, i.e. the signing of bon- John Buttigieg. That really, for me, that he never made the best of. John could have been, you know, was a top, top player. Um, so, yeah, so it was no different, Bill, to be honest. We just went into training. Uh, we had Jonesy was from Chelsea. So that we, there was always a bit of quality hanging about. Um, so and then and then playing games. We didn't have the definitely didn't have the strongest of squads. But I would say, our, let's say 13, 14 was as good enough to beat anyone at the time. You're right to say that um, Brentford were kind of not not bucking the trend necessarily like globally, but there was the, the clubs the similar size of Brentford were getting success by playing the long ball, especially like Wimbledon at the time. So that they they were kind of like the nemesis of, of, of good football, weren't they? So, you know, and, and then later on after, after Steve, um, the, we did start to hit it, hit it a little bit longer, but Steve was very much, as you say, he was just a, he was more of a football purist. Am I right to say that? He was, but I remember when I signed a couple of contracts for Brentford, and he wanted, uh, he called me in because Coventry had come in for me for two hundred and fifty grand, um, and he called me in when it was all about. It was in the papers, I think, and he said, "Look, I don't want you to to go there. We're building something here." Um, I want you to sign another year. And what people got to remember of the time, player player power was non-existent. You know, the manager held all the keys to your contract. They knew all the top draw contract deals that they could do. You was at their beck and call. None of us had agents and stuff like that. And the way he was talking to me, I was happy with that. Be part of something that's being built. And lo and behold, literally, I'd signed the deal. And then we all kind of find out that, that he's leaving virtually. And I got a hint of it anyway, because we were starting to go that way probably at the end of 89, where he, some, whether someone was influencing him, well, the only one that could have influenced him was with Phil, or Steve was doing something because he knew he was going to get away to, to Watford. And if I'm honest, when I knew Phil was taking over, I might as well pack my bags and walked out the door. Because I, I knew from that moment on that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be involved. Did, did that kind of coincide with like the 
the, or I call it the demise, the demise of Richard Cadet and the arrival of Dean Holdsworth. It was, it was a slightly different style of play at that stage, wasn't it? Well, I mean, you know, let's be honest, Dickie, unless you got the ball into his feet, was redundant, wasn't he? Because he had the peach up, the peach bum, you know, that held off defenders and backing into people. And we were mindful of that. So if you look at a lot of his goals, balls were shoved into him on the edge of the box where he could get turned. Whereas Dino would chase the channels or get get on the end of long balls and things like that. So, yeah, that's right. I, do you know what? I didn't really think of that until you just said it, Laney, to be honest. But, yeah, it was kind of just the way they were going. I was a bit disappointed. I, I felt if we were the strength of this strengthened the squad with a bit more 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 depth than, than strength shall we say we could have carried on and done really well because we was only together a short period of time think about building a team it's not that long is it a couple of seasons to all be together and then the the writing was on the wall when um when how much signed how much being simon ratcliffe because that's what we used to say when we saw him play. It was like, how much? Sorry, Bill. Yeah, you're, you're right about, um, about Richard Cadet. You know, uh, obviously, uh, Dean Holdsworth will always be, you know, a legend because of the you know, the amount of goals he scored, especially in that season when we went up. Yeah. But as fans, Richard Cadet still talks about, I would say, just as much. He was, a, he, he was, he was some, I, I thought he was something special. And as you said, he had that ability to kind of hold the ball up and he just like had the, you know, tricky dicky. He, he would, he, he would all of a sudden have a little wriggle and he, he'd be, be through either shoot, shooting himself or, or squaring it for, uh, for, uh, for Gary Blissett. 100%. I mean, he was, t he was a nemesis really for Big Tell because Tell loved the battle, obviously, big lad. Um, and in training, it was his nemesis because Dickie was small and squat and shove it into his feet and Tell was, you know, he, he, I've seen milk turn quicker <laughs> when Dickie had it. So, so yeah, but again, that, think about it. You know, you're going from one end of the field to the other end and the only way we can work Dicky really is you've got to supply him into his feet in and around the box. Otherwise, you're starving him of oxygen, aren't you? We're talking about that season, okay? Um, we're talking about Brentford. You know, uh, it's a massive season for us. The highest attendance we had was twelve thousand one hundred. Obviously, it was the cup game when Man City came down. The lowest attendance though was three thousand one hundred ninety-four. Average attendance of about five and a half, five thousand six hundred eighty-two. It was so you could see kind of where or whereabouts we were as a team. We were kind of ticking along. We were doing all right. We obviously had our loyal fan base and we had players like you that were coming in and we were building. We were sort of kind of trying to build quite nicely. You've talked quite, you know, a little bit about the players that have come in and the players that have started to build the squad and, and to make the squad, you know, stronger. You talked a little bit about the manager. I mean, I'd, I'd like you to talk to you a little bit more about Steve Perriman. Because we, you know, we've been talking to Steve Perryman quite recently as well. And the one thing that Steve said to me, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, we had something really strong going on there, Bill. We could have been really massive. But um, for him, the reasons why things fell apart is because he wanted to sign Elkins as uh, a fullback for Brentford. And, uh, and Martin Lang turned it down. So he yeah. actually kind of just walked out at the time. And that's the thing that really got him. And even 30-odd years, 35 years later, he's actually really quite bitter about that because I think he really felt that he could have made a mark uh, on Brentford. Now, you worked with Steve Perriman for a long time at Tottenham. What was he like, you know, as a manager, as a person, as to someone to work with? Not not really a bad word to say about Skip or Steve um, because he saw the potential back in me and gave me my chance back in league football. 
which was which was amazing. But it was his. All managers come in different guises, Bill. You know, some scream and shout. Some put your arm round. Back in the day, there was there was more screaming and shouting than putting your arm round you. But it wasn't that. It was Steve's little pointers in training and at half time at the end of the games that made you a better player. He was very mindful of the individual, working on the individual, and which then makes the team better rather than, right, everyone in the team is going to do X, Y, and Z. He was always working on your little things. Why don't you try a little run here? Working on your touch, working on receiving throw-ins. Keith Millen taking him away and working him on his left foot, for example. All those little things. And then you don't realise it at the time, but then as you get older and you come away and you become a coach or a manager yourself, you're, I've, I've probably taken little bits of Steve Perriman with me, you know, in, into that. And also, I think it might have been difficult for Steve because you've got to remember, Steve Perriman was a legend at the club at Tottenham Hotspur. And then he's come down to, to Brentford, which, is, which was two divisions lower. And maybe he's got players that can't do what he's used to players doing at the top level. So he's got to kind of readjust his thinking and his coaching, which I thought he, he did. And I feel at the time we were getting really getting somewhere with the quality that we have. When you think of people like Neil Smiley, you know, top, top player. For a midfield player, he was a joy because you knew he, I could hit him in behind or to feet and he'd get a cross in or something would happen from that. So Steve was building something. And then the, maybe the Gary Elkins thing was the tip of the iceberg because I've heard that story. Um, or... You know, maybe it was a chance for Steve to go higher as a manager in a short space of time. We, I, I suppose we won't ever know that. I haven't got a bad word to say to him, except that maybe at some point later on, Phil had more of an influence than I thought he should have. Let's put it that way. Brentford fans also been putting in their thoughts on this absolutely fantastic season. So let's hear a little bit from Clarkey, Paul Jamieson and Greville Waterman on their thoughts of the Brentford squad at the time. The team that season, there was a core really of, of the regulars that were playing. People like Terry Evans, uh, Roger Stanislaus, uh, Gary Blissett, Tony Parks was a regular goalkeeper, Alan Cochran, Jamie Bates, Richard Cadet. There was a, a real core of those players. And I think throughout that season, other than that core that were playing regular, the rest of the squad wasn't the strongest, but I think throughout that season and the cup run, we were very consistent in the lineup we were putting out. If we'd have had any serious injuries, then the players coming in, it would have weakened that team quite a bit. You know, Ter Terry Evans was was a rock. You know, he he always led by example, and you know, with Richard Cadet up front. It's, it was always going to be lively. We always stood a chance of getting a goal. And Blissett, he just fed off all the scraps, really. You know, Cadet would do a lot of the work and Blissett was there just to sort of bang them in. But, you know, we're players like Alan Cochran in midfield. And Andy Sinton, you know, that cut run put Andy Sinton on the map, really. You know, it was very, very soon after the Liverpool game that, you know, unfortunately, he had to depart for QBR. But we got reasonable amount of money from him. I think we could have got more. But yeah, no. Overall, it was a it was a it was a good team, but the squad could have was a little bit thin if we'd have got desperate. But most of the time, they sort of held firm, really. 
a lot of skill in that team, but I don't know the balance obviously was, was getting it right. They could form against the better teams, but against the cloggers, they seem to struggle. I don't know why that was. Tony Parks, Roger Stanislaus, I think Simon Ratcliffe as well. We got him with Jimmy Season, Jamie Bates, Keith Millen, obviously Big Tail Evans, Keith Jones, always remember Keith Jones, especially that goal against Man City. And yeah, Dandy Feely was a, a bit harsh at times, another opposing players, but he was a, <laughs> he was a give all player, wasn't he? And obviously one of the big best signs I thought we made that summer was Richard Cadet from Sheffield United. Such a player. Aaron Cochran as well, another good player, brilliant. And Neil Smiley, Gary Blissett, or Nandy Sinton. No, some brilliant players, great team, great time. And then, as I said, the nucleus of the promotion with his team a few seasons later. So at the time, I was really thinking it was going to be promotion. And I remember in January, suddenly Martin Lange started spending money. I don't know what happened. And he brought in Simon Ratcliffe. And Simon Ratcliffe was quite a tough tackling nasty player you know i say that in the nicest possible way someone that could put his foot in and play a bit of football and he played in the first division as well um apparently sheffield united wanted him at the same time i heard that from bob booker but um they'd only paid fifty thousand, and we paid 100 so possibly we overpaid and that was great and particularly as he was sensational at blackburn rovers but i hated him from day one because he was going to replace alan cochran There's a few things they said there. I mean, like they said there's a core of players there as well, but they said the squad wasn't as strong as it maybe it could have been. There's some good players there, but, you know, if we had a few injuries, it'd be weakened. And you said that a bit earlier, didn't you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, I would say on the back of that, though, that I thought at the time we had a very good youth team. Um, I think they got semi-finals or something to the FA Youth Cup. And there was a couple of them that I felt could have come in a little bit earlier, if I'm honest, that then could have not only added to the squad, but pr- put pressure on the players that were that were already there. And they could have been bled a little bit earlier. Um, but people are correcting what they're saying. But again, we don't know, or I don't know the budget at the time. I don't know the purse strings. I don't know if his hands were tied with you know, the money side of stuff. So you never know what's going really on behind closed doors. But fortunately, mate, to be honest, we never picked up many injuries. If you look at the, the, the team and the squad throughout that throughout that season, it's pretty consistent. But yeah, we had, we had quality. And I just want to say about the youth team as well, because I was at that game when the youth team beat, I think it was Man United. And I think as I was in the semi-final, they got through the semi-final. Uh, Marcus Gale was in that side as well. Um, if I remember rightly, and it was, was it Kotso Mwabi who scored the goal and everybody jumped on top of him and then he dislocated his shoulder in the end, which I shouldn't be laughing at because it was quite a sad story that he kind of got the winner and then he got a dislocated shoulder and I think then he was out for quite a while after that. But that was quite, that's quite a sort of a, that was quite a period as well. It kind of added to sort of all the excitement that's happening around then. What was, what was the hierarchy, Al? Um, you know, obviously Terry Evans is the, is, is the captain there. And obviously you're... As a, as a playing group, you'll speak and you talk about, you know, what should be doing, what, what should be happening, how things could be improved, talking about the youth players. Did, is that ever, was it ever fed up to, to, to the manager? Did, did, did Terry Evans speak, speak to um, Phil, um, to Steve Perriman about football or was it basically his job just to kind of marshal during the games? Yeah. No, it never... It never really got fed back. It's, it's, it's a bit weird, I think. And also, think about it on a, on a personal level, on an individual level. You don't really want too many players in, do you? 
because if you're in the team, I mean, every player that's signed by Brentford, every player that's signed by every club, you're thinking, hang on a minute, number one, what position is he? Number two, am I out? So footballers are very kind of fractious in their in their thought process, selfish, quite rightly so. Um, so no, you would never feed up saying, do you, do you know what, Steve? I think you should get another couple of midfield players in because me and Jonesy need to put under a bit of pressure. Or I need <laughs> a big centre-half to play with Tell. So no, it, it, if I'm honest, we just had 13, I couldn't give a monkeys. As long as I'm fit and playing, you know, that's the thing. The worst thing for fo a footballer is new signings. So pre-season's a freaking nightmare because you're keeping an eye on who's coming in. You never feel secure. And, you know, and if you sign... And again, at the end of the day, it's what happened with Ratcliffe, didn't it? With Simon. You know, in the end, it was... It, you're always wary of someone when they say they're a utility player. Well, what is that what I play anywhere, basically. So... No, that wouldn't be fed through. Certainly not. Paul Jamieson, he said there, you know, that, you know, bees were a good side, but we seem not to perform against the clogging team. So, again, you know, if we, we play great against sides who played football, like us, but teams that, you know, we had to get up and in there, we struggled against. Was that a fair comment? Bill, it's a learning curve. You know, when, you, when you're building, this is what people have got to understand. When you're building, let's take Klopp. Let's relate it to Klopp five years down the line, right? So that's five years in a building process. When you're building something, two, two to three years of that squad of players in a learning process with people come in, it takes that amount of time to learn how to win. So yeah, of course, because we had better players, passing players, etc., etc., then it was easier to play against the bigger teams because they allowed you to play. But then we had to learn to scrap it out. I thought we were getting there at some point. No one goes to Blackpool on a freaking January or February and win. And we used to go there and win. Big pitch at the old Bloomfield Road. So we were learning. We were learning to win at those certain scenarios. And any great team can't just play the same way continuously. You've got to learn. So it was probably a fair comment at the time, but also everyone wants success straight away, don't they? Everyone will go, well, no, you couldn't play against your stumble big and things like that but that i felt we was intelligent enough as a group of players that given another year or so together that could have definitely come into fruition where you learn to win at places where you shouldn't really win and the ability to learn at those kind of uh traditionally northern clogging teams uh you needed players like andy feely as well uh, to, to, what, what was he like to, to, to play with or against on the training pitch? The enforcer. Yeah, yeah I love Philly, you know. He was, uh, he was a lad. He was the only lad that come, could come out of bricklayers and get a cab back home to Bury that night. He was, a, he, was, he, was a good, he was a good lad. Very honest and upfront. Um, for me, really, he, <laughs> you look at old videos I've just gemmed up on before talking to you guys. He was the protector of always pointing his finger and saying, no, I'm going to look after him or, or sort that one out. But, but yeah, he was, he was off the, the radar, Feely. But a good, for me, anyway, a good lad to play with because he kind of knew his limitations. And you knew around Andy Feely. If you got around Andy Feely when he was going in for a tackle, you kind of, he was a, a bit of a pigeon, really, feeding off his scraps, little scraps of bread going around to do it. So for me... He was a good player for me. 
I noticed you talked about Simon Radcliffe a bit earlier on. That's when he came in and, uh, you know, the midfielder, you know, stroke utility player. Um, and I know it's a little bit of kind of, you know, uh, kind of a, a slight vibe there, you know. Was there a little bit of beef between you two? No, nothing personal. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not personal. It's just what I was saying earlier about being protective of your position and about your status at the club. And then I just, when Simon first come in, bearing in mind that 100 grand to Brentford at the time, I mean, what do you equate that to nowadays? It's, it's lots of money, you know, under grand for, for a player. And when that player comes in, he's being judged straight away. It's just the way players are. If you've spent under grand at Brentford on a footballer, the minute he walks into training, you're judging him or you're looking at him uh, to see if he's that good. Um, and that was his nickname. Me and Jonesy, we called him how much because we couldn't believe what we were seeing, right? So just a, a quick example, we used to watch the, the games on a Monday morning in the bees bar on the big screen. So the game was videoed and we'd watch the game and we'd all sit in box chairs, three deep sitting around. And Jonesy and I were the gigglers, were laughing. And Steve put it on the big screen and, and Rats had an absolute Reggie Blinker against Oak. And he was playing fullback and he just kept whacking the ball into the West End, into the Bramer Road. Um, and um, Steve kept on rewinding it, so the ball's going from road and I've started to get the giggles, um, crying with laughter, and got sent out. So I got sent home like a little boy. So <laughs> it, I'm laughing now, and I was laughing at the time. I didn't, I couldn't see why he was worth the underground. I didn't really see what what added class he gave to us, which what we kind of needed, I think. But lo and behold, did I know, he started off at fullback. And I remember the game. I thought I was playing really well in a, in a blooming period. I think I scored in a game at home. And I got taken off with about 20 minutes to go. And I just walked off. just walked into the dressing rooms, didn't shake his hand and things like that. But I kind of saw the writing on the wall where he was then being moved into midfield, which I didn't take too kindly to, if I'm honest. So... But that's nothing personal against rats at all. I don't have, hold any animosity against players. You know, you were all in it for the same reason. Um, but so if you meant beef with him, no. Beef with the management, probably yes. I mean, we've talked about the fans. We listen to the fans here and they've looked back to the players and they, they've seen good side with certain limitations. But also we had Richard Cadet at one of our socials, the socials at the Fuller's Brewery. Uh, a while back, and he talked about the team, and he basically said how much world beaters we are. Let's have a little listen to exactly what Richard Cadet thought of that Brentford team. We had players in that team that were good players. We had Neil Smiley, we had Andy Sinton on the wing. Andy Sinton was like, we used to call him the bionic, bionic man, because he'd get injured on a Tuesday and be fit on a Saturday. And that he was, he was fantastic. We had, we had me and Bliss up front. We had Keith Jones and Simon Ratcliffe. We had a good back four. You know, Terry Evans and Keith Millen today, I know you, you, you go, oh, like the premierships, blah, blah, blah. But they were defenders. We did training sessions where they would like Keith Millen, Terry Evans, Jamie Bates, whatever left back I can't remember who was left back uh, Rodgers and Slouse and they were like right so this was the back four 
score a goal against them and it was like we'd be trained for like two and a half hours and we'd like score about one goal because they were horrible I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you Keith Millen and Terry Evans had the um, clothes wire the ball can go but not you and that and they were proper defenders they wouldn't give goals away well, well it was you know like I say if you go up north and, and, yeah. and that, that, that was a they did think they were the, you know, the, the toughest species but uh, yeah. I always think there is a, there is a tough side to us uh, to us London boys and I think at that time it, it was it, it was a hell of a team spirit evolving you know, that, that, and I think that's what Steve Steve had brought in started, started to, got nucleus of a side together and the sort of dressing room started to, to, to build and sort of take over and so yeah, there we had it, Richard Gaudet, and also Terry Evans as well. Richard Gaudet saying, "Well, Brentford are the best team in the world with all the best players in the world who would beat absolutely anybody in the whole world." And Terry Evans just basically saying that we could we would beat up anybody in the world. So you know, we were the toughest team and also the most skillful. Is that true, Alan? Yeah, all of it's true, Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dickie. I mean, Dickie loved it because he was fed well. Because um, we used to feed him on the coach with bacon sandwiches. He used, he used to love his trough. Um, and Tell loved it because he just... We, I think because of... Uh, he, Ter, Terry Evans was, you know, a Terry... Let's call him the bees Terry Butcher, wasn't he? Let's be honest. You know, with the wraparound when he's got cut and things like that. And his trademark, giving it all that one at the end of the game with his fist... They're both right in a way. We had players that have played at a, a good level and players that had scrapped as well. Um, but I think really what they're talking about was the camaraderie, if I'm honest. I mean, I've played at a few clubs, coached many, and probably there was a two to three year period where we were really, really good pals. And that used to kind of, and I think that held us in good stead. I mean, our coach journeys away from home hilarious. I mean, some of the funniest times I've ever had things we used to get up to that we can't talk about now was we'd all be in jail maybe tell, tell, tell us one tell i'll tell you one um so i was in the card school me jonesy goff kevin godfrey and, and richard cadet um, and we used to play a game called aces to kings not for money it was for a forfeit and me and jonesy used to rig the score so dickie lost every time and the forfeit was getting everyone a cup of tea up and down the coach naked so he had to strip off and um, walk, walk up and down the coach serving the tea and coffee naked while being beat where he was slapped. Um, now, you can imagine what went on. Terry Evans had more sovereigns than Del Boy. Um, and Tell used to turn his rings inwards and slap Dickie's buttock, shall we say, rather hard. So, But it was all in good spirit. No one ever got the um. And I think Dickie kind of prayed him. I think he quite, quite kind of liked it, you know. I think he lost on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name, our doctor? You remember the old fella? Radley Smith. Radley Smith. And no lie, my, my fitness test at Brentford was this. I stripped down to my boxers. He said, touch your toes. Have you ever been shot? And I touched my toes and he said, have you ever been shot? And I went, no. He went, you're fine. He's good. That was, I swear, that was my fitness test. And when Dickie turned up naked to, to give him his cappuccino, um, it was a sight to behold. So, thank the Lord, there's no cam there was no camera phone. Talk, talking about that, Eric Radley Smith, I, I I have to say, as his name's just been brought up, whether this is true or not, I, I can't I can't prove it or disprove it. 
there was, I did hear once that he held a very strange world record. He was a, he was a surgeon during the Second World War. And apparently he held one of the records for amputation legs in a single day. You're kidding me. Apparently. I mean, I, whether that's true or not, that's not the kind of stuff you make up. That wouldn't surprise. So when I said, he said, asked me if I've been shot, that's no surprise then, isn't it? Because to me, as long as I could walk, I'm signing, you know, if he's been through that. That's, yeah, I'll give him a lift back to um, uh, Richmond Hill Hotel. He, he had a place in Richmond Hill. I'll give him a lift back home one night. Great, but good stories from him. So he's a good lad. He'd, he'd been around the club for literally, you know, generations, and he? He'd been there since after the war. So he, he, he would have seen everything. Um, Brentford at the very top and then uh, all the way down and all the way partially back again. And also, if you were, sadly, most of us were jabbed up, you know, looking back on it, you know, it shouldn't have been done. But you you played with, with injuries, really. That's what it was. And he used to come in and get you to point to the spot. So he said, well, where do you want the injection? And I'm like, well, you should be telling me. You'd point to your quad or your groin or wherever and you'd just stick it in and jab it up. So when you say jabbed up, is that a cortisone? Is that? Painkiller just to get through the game, yeah. Ankles, knees. Groins, the lot. Point, boy. Point to where you want it. You point. You just stick it in. <laughs> Amazingly, I mean, there's one player that we haven't talked about as yet, but there was a player who had gone and played, I think it was 163 games, 162 games consecutively for Brentford um, until he got an injury where he, he was out actually during the cup run, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later, which is Andy Sinton. And they called him the bionic man as well. You know, because literally he used to go down apparently and then get up again. Now, I'm wondering, Sinton, do you think that this was, the, I mean, he left a few months or a few weeks after the cup run. Do you think this cup run made him? Yeah. And I think also what you said, the bionic man, we couldn't believe. I've never, I've never, they, they reckon Lampard was like it. Um, recovery. You, you learn as you get older about body type. You know, there's certain body types that people pick up more injuries than others. Lampard, hardly anything. And Sinners was the same. Yeah, we called him Vionic Man. Oh, there was another couple of names we called him as well. But he mm. would turn his ankle. I've seen him turn his ankle in a game that, for me, I'd be out four to six weeks. And he's getting strapped up and playing on the Tuesday night. I've never seen his, anyone recover like Andy Sinton. And if you're continuously playing... And if you look at Andy Sinton, he kind of played the same way throughout his career. He just, he, he looked at him, he run the same, he'd done the same things. He was very formulated. And part of the, when, when, when you learn that part of people signing you is looking at your track record of how many games you've played and how many injuries, are you in, are you prone to injuries? That was definitely a, uh, a good thing for Andy Sinton. And also when you're not injured, you're getting more and more consistent. And that run, that cup run that year, I think Sinners was our get-out ball, really. You know, Sinners was a, a, a reliable, boring, boring northerner, but he was a reliable footballer that you could give him the ball and you could he could carry it for you. He could always gain. You know, you know, like the, the rugby players, you give them it and they'll always gain 10 yards for you. Andy Sinton was a carrier, a ball carrier. So, yeah, he was a good, good lad, Andy Sinton. Like a re really nice character. So nothing bad to say about Sinners. And just 
just again, I'll sort of listen back to you. You know, I listened to all you players. I mean, obviously, as you know, we had a really good relationship with all you players back in the day. It's, it's very different to, to now. And again, I mean, I used to, you know, drink up in the players' bar. So that's what I used to sort of see you and Tony Parks and everybody up there. We all used to, to drink together. And um, it's interesting because even Steve Perryman, like I said to you, I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, you know, he used to give us lifts home after the match. So, you know, he used to, I remember he used to give lifts home he, in, the, in the players' bar. They used to pop sort of kind of money in the players' top pockets and all sorts of stuff that was going on. I didn't quite understand what was going on there, but I, I presume it might be in the players' bonuses for games or scoring goals or something like that. But it was all going on there at the time. So, But we had a good relationship. And also, I remember you were talking about going to the Boulevard and Haven Stables. And I remember actually uh, meeting you lot in the Haven Stables for the for the, the, the Brentford Christmas party. You know, Jonesy was there. I think that you were there. Parksy, you were all inside there. And I was there with my group. And the, there, was a, there was a little bit of, you know, getting together going on. But that was that was quite a common occurrence, wasn't it? I, I love that. I mean, I, there, there's a couple of great stories. The, do you know, I can't remember his name. He was an old boy. And, and where the dugouts used to be, um, he, was, he would stand by the dugouts where the little bit of standing was. And I fell into the crowd in one game and he had a, he used to stand there with a flat cap on. And I remember taking his flat cap, putting it on, taking a throw in and then playing the game with his cap on. Every single home game after that, he used to call me over and I'd have a, a tot of brandy from his hip flask. Now, can you imagine that today? So I'd wander over to old, old Jim and he'd say, have a, have a swig, Cockers. And I used to have a swig of brandy before the game. So that was one incident. Another great one was, I think we got we lost at home to Stoke. We were poor, poor, poor day at the office. And me and Jonesy got dressed, come out, and it's easy to slide off when you've had a bad day, you know. And he looked at me and I looked at him. I said, do you know what? Let's just go in the, the bees bar and, and like, don't have a beer with the lads. Well, we walked in. And we was getting all, a little bit of stick to start with. But a couple of hours later, we was all having a Guinness together, laughing and joking. And I apologised for our performance and said, it won't happen again. And that, to me, was what it was all about, was there was that, there was that unification of the great Brentford supporters, which they were and are. But you also had that with the players. The players felt that, you know, and we respected that. And, and obviously, of a time where you could go and have a beer after the game and you weren't judged. Um, I, it must be a nightmare for players now, no matter how um, outgoing or gregarious you are, to actually let yourself go and have a glass of wine with a supporter because you just don't know what, how that's going to get fed back on social media. So I appreciate how difficult that is. But by the same token, I'm glad that I was of an era where you could celebrate like that, you know, with the supporters. And that, and that was part of it, wasn't it? You know, to feel as a, as a team because we're all one at the end of the day. I mean, there's a number of players we still haven't talked about because we're going to talk about them more because they really featured quite massively in this cup run that we went on. You know, your players like, you know, obviously Gary Blissett, who's was, was massive, you know. We've got Roger Stanislaus, you know. We've got, we've got, got Keith Millen, you know. We've got loads of players we're going to talk about. But now, we're going to have a little bit of a rest, a little bit of a break. We'll go off and have a little bit of a... Maybe a grab a little drink and come back and we're going to talk about Brentford's FA Cup run of 1988. 89. Brentford hadn't had a great record in the FA Cup in recent times. They've actually reached the quarterfinals four times in 37-38. They actually beat Man United and Fulham before losing to the eventual winners Pioneer in that year. 
also 45-46 just after the war, where they knocked out QPR and Spurs before losing to finalist Charlton over two legs. 48-49, they lost 2-0 to Leicester in front of 38,000 fans at Griffin Park. And obviously, this is the season 88-89, which we're going to be talking about. They did go on a mini cup run in 1982, um, when they actually played Nottingham Forest in the fourth round of the Milk Cup after beating Swansea at a replay at the Vegetfield. And Swansea, that was a massive result then as well, because Swansea were actually a Division One side. They're a top-notch side as well. So that was a really big result that. 81, 82, 83, Brentford actually had a really good side, which was probably touching on, if there was playoffs, they would have probably touched on players. They had no playoffs then, so they were at finishing sort of eighth or ninth, you know, roundabout then. And then they kind of became more middling. And then towards the back of the century, uh, those 10 years, they actually kind of got better again. Um, our league positions, like I said, went from 19th, 9th, 8th, 7th, 9th, 20th, and then crept back up to, you know, the season at 88, 89 when we were seventh. We also, if you remember rightly, when we talk about cups, lost in the Leyland Death final in Wembley, 1985. We lost to Wigan again. So, like I said to you, not a great record in cups. But we're coming into this year, and Alan, a new side, a new manager, um, or, or, or a fresh approach. What was the view of the players of the FA Cup? You know, as as the you know, the balls came out of the hat, and we we got that first round draw. I think it's the equaliser. As you said, the FA Cup of then is not what it is of now. Um, and, you know, every kid dreamt of, you know, playing in, playing at Wembley or even just not even playing at Wembley, playing in the FA Cup, let's put it that way. Um, but you don't really take it serious earlier on. What I mean by that, you don't, you don't get excited as in, oh, we're going to progress, we're going to get X, Y, and Z. We're not really looking at the drawers, for, you know, when you're getting out the, um, the, the velvet bag at Lancaster Road and stuff. Because what's the point? Um, it's a bit like meeting a girl on the first date. You don't want to get, you get, you're excited, but you don't want to get overly excited in case, you know, she mugs you off. So the Howl's Owen game is a, is a, a snare of a game. It's, it's a trap, isn't it? Because there's no glory in it whatsoever. You just want to, pave your way through it um so in answer to your question yeah always excited that is the fa cup but still very guarded in the early rounds because in case in case it all goes peaked on so when does a cup run start to become a cup run in the minds of the players and the, and the club that's a good one i reckon third draw in so you've got obviously your muggy puppet game at the beginning you don't know who you're going to get there um then your second draw comes out, whoever got, is it away? You don't really want an, an away game um, because now you're going to be doubling up on games because you're thinking, right, well, we can get a nick or draw there as exactly what happens to us in both rounds. Um, so I would say the third game in or the third win in, should I say, that starts to get a little bit tingly. You're like, hang on a minute, we can uh, we can do something within this. And it's notoriety, isn't it? So Steve Lewis, another Brentford fan, he actually remembers that period with some fondness. Let's have a little listen to what he's got to say. Group of bees mates uh, were all based in Hampton, Middlesex. Um, I remember Tony and Neil. We had all that season prior just been over to the Euros in 1988. We see England lose in um, Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. We're all good soccer pals. And 1989 was a, a really weird season. It was a great season. But the cup run kind of crept up on us unexpectedly. 
We had a great season. We were challenging in the league with an exciting run in the League Cup where we beat Fulham. And I remember the Stanislaus 45-yard goal against Fulham in, 1980, in 1988, that was. And we nearly shot Blackburn over two legs in the League Cup that season as well. We lost 3-1 and then we won 4-3 at home. Little did we know we'd meet them again in the FA Cup fifth round later in the season. Cup football's funny because because we were such a good team off the pitch, because we had such camaraderie, we, we, we kind of enjoyed it because it was a relief from, say, league football. Um, and it was a bit more fun, if I'm honest, because... The camaraderie can win you games. Um, so if we go to the, you know, the two replays, I, I actually don't even remember when you, we, when I looked back at it and thought, well, it, Walsall was a replay and Peterborough was a replay. So we've already played five games in the early rounds on, on replays. So I think it was the, it was the camaraderie and also getting back to to uh, Griffin Park after the draws. We always fancied ourselves. We're going to talk about the excitement now. We're going to have a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to get ourselves right in to the FA Cup first round. <music> FA Cup first round, Hales Owen. Saturday the 19th of November 1988, crowd 4,514 at Griffin Park. Hales Owen, where is Hales Owen? <laughs> I mean, I remember I was quite sort of into sort of trying to find out where these non because I was well into Brentford playing non league teams. Uh, and Nels Owen, I found out, was in Dudley, which is not too far from uh, West Bromwich Albion, actually. So it's on the left hand side. When we go up to like West Brom on the M5, it's on the left hand side, just south of West Brom. History of Hales Owen at the time. Um, in the early 80s, they were a bit of a non-league kind of sort of danger side. They'd won the FA Vars and the Premier Champions for three years in a row. Plus, they were also the Vars winners twice again in mid of the 80s as well, including playing Southall. And Southall were actually quite a, uh, quite a bit of a team at the time as well. Then they moved around the Midland Division of the Southern League, which is also at the time known as the Beezer Homes League. And there was something about that league, you know. It sounded quite cool, the Beezer Homes League. Um, and then in the FA Cup first round, they got there for the third time in 87-88 as well. Uh, and when they played us, that was the first time they'd actually played league opposition in the FA Cup. That's the fourth time they've got there. Um, they had a player called Stuart Cash playing for them. Uh, he was signed to Nottingham Forest in the following summer. And he actually played 11 games on loan for the Bees. Um, he actually ended up as an assistant with Terry Brown at AFC Wimbledon and a number of other teams. The big Cockroom, that, uh, that game, can you remember it, the build-up to it, and when the ball came out the bag and just your thoughts about the Hells Owen match? As Terry Evans would say, it's just another bunch of Northerners. Um, the hailstones, as we know, knew them as. Didn't, yeah, as a pro, it's, it's a bit weird. You know, you know it's a stumbling block um, because you've been on the receiving end. But by the same token, it's, you just want to get through it, Bill. It's, it's just one of those games. It's not going to be pretty. You know it's not going to be pretty. And you know you're not going to get any thanks for it. It's a turn up, stick it for 90 minutes try and outwork them um, and get a result, which we did. Um, and I knew Cashy anyway, where he wears his shorts up round his neck. Um, so you knew him, knew him like that, a good lad, a great lad. So to put one over on him, because I knew him, number one. Um, so that was my Michael Jordan link. You know, the Michael Jordan that just needs that little bit of fire to spark him off. Uh, and Cashy was mine because I knew him before that. And I thought, I'm not going to hear the last of his droning Birmingham accent if we lose to this. So 
So it was a good result in the end, 2-0. Yeah, it was good. Lads done well. Workman-like performance it was. You know, Sinton cross in 13 minutes. Terry Heavens, goal in the back of the net. And then Sinton, a direct free kick on 37 minutes. And basically could have just did the job as well. I mean, fans, I actually, I went to every single game in this cup run. I say I'm pretty sure I did. Um, but the funny thing, again, it was so long ago, there's certain games that you can't remember. And I know 100% I went to this Hells Owen game because I remember being fixated about them being outside Birmingham. I can't remember the game myself, but I know a few fans that actually can remember a few details. So let's hear from Gary Scammell, Gary Smith and Greville Waterman. When it came out, I think it was just viewed really as it was a home tie in the first round of the cup. It was a non-league side that we didn't really know too much about. And I think everybody, including myself, must have viewed it as a, a relatively straightforward home win and a chance to progress into the second round. And you're getting obviously ever closer then to, to drawing a relatively big side that nobody really, I think, could have foreseen at that stage what that cup run would go on to lead to. Yeah, started our wonderful cup run at home to Hal Zowin. What a draw that was. Um, I remember as a young lad, always watching the television for the cup draws held from Lancaster Gate in a little, little uh, red bag. And our name came out to play Hal's Owen. And I remember saying to my dad, could this be a, a good year for a cup run? And he played Hal's Owen. And I remember a Big Tell, Big Terry Evans scored the first, I think it was, and Andy Sinton. And we beat them 2-0 in a fairly drab game. And we played um, some A-team players and some B-team players. I think Big Bob Cooper played. Um, Tony Parks was injured, so we had a replacement goalkeeper. And we came out of that one 2-0 winners. The first game, if I remember, was against non-leaguers Halzoen, and it was a, a fairly comfortable, fairly routine 2-0 victory. Terry Evans got one. I think it was an Andy Sinton free kick. Um, and Halzoen were brave, but very limited. Uh, put up a fairly good show. Never really looked like scoring. And they had Stuart Cash at left back, I remember that, who came to us on loan from Nottingham Forest uh, a couple of years later. So, yeah, Brentford did the job. Fans are happy, players are happy, managers happy. Do you remember, again, with the draw, because I know that you were, you know, after the match, did you did you listen to the draw? How did it work with the FA Cup with you lot? Did you get together in the, the dressing room or in a bar and listen to the draw? How did it work? No, the draws were always made. Um, not like they are now. I, I just remember draws being made. Can you? I can't even remember when the early rounds were made. Were they? Was it still a Saturday night somewhere? Yeah, I, I remember. I remember it always being on the radio. I remember it being at the you know part of the you know the and then like you'd have the results and then you you probably have. I might I might be joining up various stitching bits of history that aren't really connected, but I, I remember it being on the radio a lot and I, I do remember. Um, after you'd won, you'd, you'd go back to the pub and you'd, you'd hear who you got later on. And uh, it was kind of, it felt um, more kind of uh, immediate. I know, obviously, these days, the games are spread over a whole weekend and then they'll bolt the draw on the on the Monday night before the last televised game. So there's, it's kind of like they, they, try and, they try and make something a little bit more dramatic than, than it is. And as you kind of said earlier, and as I, you know, as a fan, you don't want to slip up in that first round. You just want to get through the second round draw. After winning the second round draw, that's when it gets really exciting as a fan because you know you're in the hat for the third round, 
and then the big, big clubs are going to come in. As a Brentford fan, we're in the third round now. So, you know, we're, we're guaranteed now we're a championship team. So we, we, we almost don't have to worry about that. But uh, at the time, um, you know, we were always in the first round. So the, 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 the third round draw was the biggie. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's true. It may have been on the radio again in the 80s and late 80s, but it definitely moved to TV because I remember every time we'd play an FA Cup game at Griffin Park, we'd all go back to the New Inn because we used to drink in the New Inn at the time and watch the draw on the TV. And at that time, we were absolutely desperate to play abroad, as it was. So the team that we always wanted to come out, do you remember who it was? It was Newport Isle of Wight. Right? And they were actually a bit of a sort of kind of cup you know, a cup-winning side, cup-winning non-league side. And every year, they'd probably have to play about 74 games to get to the, like, the first round of the FA Cup. And then the draw would come out, and we'd be sitting there going, Newport Isle of Wight, they'd be like, and Brentford and that, you know, Newport Isle of Wight versus, oh, Grimsby. And we'd be like, oh, no! And have to wait again. So uh, we never did get the Newport Isle of Wight. And I've, I actually looked recently to see if they actually exist anymore. And I think that they've, uh, they've actually fallen from, uh, from grace so the chances of us actually ever getting them is zero. So uh, that's one of my sort of tick boxes that that's never going to happen. Good. <laughs> there's never a player wanted Newport Isle away, away mate. <laughs> that's right. I, sorry, I think we wanted to go on a hovercraft. I think that was I think that was the main reason. That was the reason why I actually yeah. wanted to go on a hovercraft to an away game because we we've been by boat, we've been by plane, we've been by barge, we've been by we've been by every absolute every form of transport but we'd never been on hovercraft so this was the only way that we can actually do it i love you supporters you're great, aren't you? great. <laughs> but, but anyway we've got through the first round of the fa cup and we got the draw for the second round and it's peterborough away we're gonna have a little twang we're gonna come back and we're gonna hark back to the game against posh <laughs> fa cup second round peterborough home and away the away game, Saturday, the 10th of December, 1988, attendance 5,609. The home date, 14th of December, 1988, 5,605. Peterborough, at the time, they were in the, 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 the bottom tier, the fourth division. They've been there since 1979. They swapped place with the Bees. They got relegated while we went up to the third division. Uh, the season that we played them in 89, they actually finished 17th. Um, they had players playing for them. Their top scorer was Nick Cusack, who scored 12 goals. Other players they had, like Mick Horsall, with 249 appearances. Grin Gunn, as well, who's ex-Forest as well, 131 appearances. Craig Goldsmith. Um, the first round, they beat Gillingham 1-0 in a replay with an own goal from Ivan Hayes before Steve Lovell had been sent off to Chills after a 3 all draw at home. The Peterborough game, again, you know, the first game was an away game. Again, with me... The, the, my clouded memory. I can't actually remember going up there, going to Peterborough. I 100% would have gone there because it was a, sort of my first season of hardcore probably going home and away. I used to go home and away years before that, but this was my sort of first year, bit of a paycheck, you know, met a few Bees fans who you used to travel all the time. So I definitely went there. I can't remember going up there. There's only a couple of points I can remember. And uh, the one point is I vaguely remember this fire behind the goal. So Cockers, I mean, that match, it was, it was sort of quite a, quite, quite a tough game because, you know, even though they're in the fourth division, you know, we might have thought, OK, this is easy pickings, but it wasn't as easy as we, it was made out to be, was it? Well, no, I, I remember little bits and pieces. I remember the smoke behind the goal, um, <laughs> whether someone was set on fire or it was just having a barbecue, I don't know. But um, 
Yeah, we scrapped it out up there. That was a tough game. Anyone that knows the old fourth division and that, you're not going to pick cherries at any of them games. And also, it's a scout for them, isn't it? They had some um, wily old heads because I was marking horse. Is it Horsewell, wasn't it? Like Horsell. Horsell, yeah. He was a scouse, tough character. Um, so we done well to scrap it out there, to be honest. And it was a relief at the end of the game to, to bring them back to the park. Tony Platt's played a blinder in that game as well. And that, that's, that, in fact, that was the game that Andy Sinton got concussion and he went to hospital. And I suppose you're all expecting him to bounce back, but he actually, actually uh, he didn't bounce back and he, he didn't play in the replay. And that was him cutting off his 161 consecutive games for the Bees. Is that a bit of a worry? That, no. Because, well, it was a worry in one sense, but that was because he was under the directive of the hospital rather than he could have play, he would have played you know he's you know he's he's got nothing upstairs anyway has he so he's he's going to play he's going to play he wanted to play I remember but when you're under the directive of the of the hospital then you're taking a bit of a chance and and the gaffer kind of said that there's no way you've got to have a, a bit of a rest there a week off or whatever it was so that's the reason not because he wasn't fit not because he didn't want to play not because <laughs> He didn't have anything up top. It was just an NHS directive. And the fans remember this game as well. We've got Paul Jamieson, Greville Waterman, Gary Scammell and Gary Smith. And they're giving all their thoughts and their memories on those Peterborough matches. Peterborough away FA Cup. Um, so getting the coach, official coach up from Brentford. Seems to remember it being a non-eventful journey, unfortunately. Always stopping off at the motorway services, trying to trying to fill yourself with alcohol while you're there unofficially and getting back on the coach and trying to hold it until you got to the ground. But uh, turning up and sort of remember being warmly welcomed by the Peterborough fans at the time. That time it was it was always fun and games, walking around the ground and encounters different types of supporters. But very, very hard game. Um, a lot of sort of to and fro between the games of ebbed and flowed. Tony Parts had played quite well. And also, what I seem to remember at the game, I think the referee had nearly abandoned the game. And I think the Peter supporters were a little far behind the goal in their home end. And that went on for quite some time. The game itself, it carried on after a while. And also remember Andy Sinton taking the knock, which seemed to knock him out. And he was taken off and I believe he was taken to hospital in the end because he was uh, made concussed. But uh, yeah, I know that after that game, um, obviously on the way back, just, just a non-event journey back. And there was this hope that we would be able to do ourselves justice in the home game and maybe Andy Sinton getting back to being fit and well for that game. We went to Peterborough. I, I went with uh, my friend Keith uh, in the car. I think I drove up there. Uh, thinking it, it was a relatively close uh, away game. And I think at the time, coming away, even though the game had finished goalless in the away game, I think both of us were quite happy with that and thought that it was a great opportunity to do the business um, back at Griffin Park. And I think as it turned out, it was a, a harder game back at Griffin Park than I think many of us anticipated. And Brentford won 3-2 to, to progress into the third round, which was where you wanted to be, wasn't it? Because it's where all the big boys came into the draw and you could possibly get you know, an Arsenal or a Man United or someone like that. First game, the second round was against Peterborough, where we drew nil-nil in the first game. In those days, they used to have the replays the Tuesday after the previous Saturday. And we remember them playing Peterborough at home, went with my dad. Um, you know, it was a bit of a treat for me because I was supposed to be in bed as a young lad. Um, but uh, quarter eight kickoff, I remember getting into the ground New Road was starting to be a bit busy and um, I remember we went down, we went 1-0 down after a couple of minutes. Peter was scored, went 1-0 up and um, then uh, Stanislaus, who had a super evening that night, 
um, and uh, combined quite well with uh, Cadet and uh, Blissett. Um, and I think we ended up winning 3-2. Um, and um, so I think Smiley got a late winner, if I remember rightly, dipping his head and, and, and scoring. Next round was a very difficult draw, and I thought that could be uh, curtains for us. We went there, and to my surprise, we came away with a draw. Tony Parks played really well in goal that day. We drew nil-nil. Lots of off-field excitement where some fans, I think, set fire. I don't know if they set fire to the stadium or set fire to stuff behind the goal. Referee nearly abandoned it. I remember that Andy Sinsman was stretched off, and he was our Iron Man. He hadn't missed a game. I think it was 152 consecutive games. He was our talisman. And he was carried off, I think, with concussion. Uh, I was terribly worried that he was going to miss the replay on the, on the following week. And of course, in those days, you'd play the replay straight away. Uh, nice, good night under the lights at Griffin Park. And Sinton didn't play. Kevin Godfrey came in, and I thought that's our, that's our lot. Particularly when Peterborough scored first, decent goal. And then soon, just before half-time, there was this lovely move with Roger Stanislaus. God, he was an elegant player. That left foot coming forward. Couldn't defend to save his life, but he was great going forward. He's like a tank. And he did this lovely one-two with uh, Richard Cadet. Put Richard Cadet away. Slotted under the goalkeeper. And won all at half-time. And second half was, again, ding-dong battle, end-to-end. And then my hero lit the place up. Alan Cochram, brilliant, brilliant left foot, top corner. Oh, I love that guy. I, uh, I'll be arrested if I say what I think about him. One day I'll have hair like his in, in, my, in my dreams, in my next life. But I loved Alan Cochram. He sent this left footer raging into the top corner. And then, of course, Nick Kuzak, who I think became president of the FA or something like that, ex-Fulham, put one in nicely for the equaliser. And I thought that was it. But then Neil Smiley slid, came in on the near post with a header, probably hit his shoulder, went in, 3-2, we're, we're in the third round. Really, really exciting game of football. And I thought, well, I didn't think our hands were on the cup, but I was really, really pleased until I saw the draw for the next round. I mean, how can you get excited about Walsall away? Posh, nil all match, possibly should have been goals in it. Parksy played a blinder, very entertaining, bit of a ding-dong, tough game. Managed to bring them back to Griffin Park. We get the draw, all of a sudden, bing, actually, out of the draw comes Walsall. Probably a little bit disappointing, but we know exactly who we've got. I mean, what was the thoughts going into the second Peterborough game now? Because surely you must have had a little bit of like, hold on a second, we might actually kind of get through to this. And also we could possibly, you know, even get through the third round as well. Or were you disappointed? No. That's a really good point you made, Bill. It's kind of good to know your next round because you're then thinking beyond that a little bit. Because A, we've got the posh back at, at, at the park. So you're, you're thinking, we'll get through this. And we've got a great chance of then progressing further. Um, and then the game back there was another you know, hung, uh, against Posh was a diff really difficult game when you look at it. You know, it wasn't wasn't a, a walkover by a long shot. So we were just, again, pleased to get through it. And if you look at the goals or you look at the game, um, we played quite well that night against a team that had quite firepower. Um, I think, did they score first? 
And that's the thing. I was wondering what the thought was because they went ahead in the 17th minute. Um, so all of a sudden, we're behind at home to Peterborough, a fourth division side who likes a bit of a scrap. They weren't doing particularly great in the league, but you know that, that goes out the window when it's a cup, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's irrelevant, uh, your league form. Yeah, go, and probably going a goal down helped us. I know that sounds a bit weird, um, but it shakes you up a little bit. The crowd then starts to go, hang on a minute, you know, let's get into this. And then I think really we took control in large parts of the game um, and ended up with not a comfortable win because at the end of the day it was 3-2, but a win that was more deserved than the actual game as a whole, let's put it that way. And then three quality strikes. A one quality strike. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, we'll come in on to that one. There was a one two to Jones and Stanislaus to set up Cadet in the area. And then and then there was uh Thomas through the second goal. What one was that, Bill? It was my mate Feely, wasn't it? Going through about three three tackles to get me the ball. That's right. That's yeah, right. no, I remember he was on uh yeah, he's had a little unusual for, for Feely. He had a dribble, then he's had a tackle. Then a player's come to closing. I remember pulling off because I knew he could tap it to me. It was the only place it could come. And then as it's come to me, I always used to do this thing was predominantly right foot. taught at Spurs to play uh, uh, with both feet. And a, a few of my goals were dragged from right to left and then just put my head down and hit it. And I just remember it. I can just remember the ball rising into the net. And, and, the, and it's great when you look at it because the keeper looks like a Subutio keeper, doesn't he? You know, when he's got his two hands outstretched on the little ball, he's got no chance. And when it leaves the boot, you know, it's got kind of going in, which was a great thing. And then, and then obviously Wiggle It comes into play, my acid house days dance. So that was a good thing to do as well. Um, and then the, the second, the final goal, I've, we were pushing for it. And it was unusual because, was it a smiley header? Right, off of Godfrey crossed it in and Smiley headed the ball in the back of the net. Goff would always float it. When he checked on his left foot, he checks and he would float to the back stick. And that's where I made my run to the back stick. Um, and he didn't. He kind of scuffed it along the ground. And if Neil Smiley's going to get a header, you know he's miskicked it. So fair play to, to Neil um, and Goff uh, with a scuffed left foot that put us through in into the into the game against Walsall, which was which was great. And then again, knowing we've got to go to freaking Warsaw, you know, and get a result, which is, think about it, chaps. That's, it's not been an easy run so far, is it? Is that 12 games so far, isn't it? <laughs> well, we don't like to do things too easy, though, do we, Alan? No. Peterborough, they have been dispatched. We're in the third round of the Cup. In those days, as Laney said earlier, it's the Holy Grail. The fact that you have got to the third round is just, it's just where you really want to be because, you know, it's so hard to get to the third round when you're a, a, a sort of a kind of, you know, third stroke, fourth division side, it really is a big day out. So, uh, you know, that, that Peterborough, um, that Peterborough game, I remember actually, uh, it was one of those ones because the matches fell a few days after the Saturday game. I went up to Peterborough, but I, I, I had made plans for the Tuesday night because I didn't, I didn't believe that we we're going to be playing because it wasn't in the diary and all of a sudden it popped up. And I actually had an American friend staying with me uh, and I hadn't seen her since my uni days. And so she was staying with me. We were meant to go out into town to probably the Mud Club or the Wag Club or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in the end, I, I dragged her down to Griffin Park. And I remember it was pretty cold as well. I remember being behind the goal in the Wendy House, I think, when we scored the goals. And uh, she didn't really get it at all. So she was very unhappy. 
that I dragged her down to Griffin Park instead of some sort of cool nightclub lady. You yeah, you can relate to that. Well, no, I I I really I really vividly remember that that the, the replay, the Peterborough replay, because I I I'd just started working at the Financial Times, and I'd started commuting that was my first kind of commute that was my first kind of career job and i used to love evening games because you used to go straight from work you used to get back to waterloo and then uh, get off at brentford and go and have a couple of beers and it i felt i felt like uh it was all it was life was good at the time and uh I, yeah I, I i really do remember i do remember alan's goal actually um, and it, and it, I, I, I remember the roar. Um, I know we've been we've been talking about the, the games, uh, um, you know, interviewing the fans for this, and I kind of like you hear their memories. So maybe it's a little bit fresher. But I do I do remember. I remember vividly the Blackburn Rovers game in the League Cup that was earlier on in the season. That was an absolute cracker. Brilliant. I think that was that was straight from work, straight to the pub, straight to the game. Yeah. So I, I just don't ever, I don't think you can beat those real good night games under the lights at Griffin Park, straight from work, straight to the pub, straight to watch the Bees win. Indeed, and I think we know all about that, and we've had so many of them. Going on to the third round, which is Warsaw. We're going to have a little bit of break, then we'll come back, and we'll talk about the FA Cup third round match against Warsaw. (laughs) FA Cup third round, Warsaw. Away game, Saturday the 7th of January 1989, 5,375 fans there. And then at home, Tuesday the 10th of January 1989, 8,163 fans at Griffin Park, Warsaw. Now, the thing about Warsaw at that time, interesting side, right? They were bought by a guy called Terry Ramsden in 87. He was a high-profile entrepreneur and a horse race owner. And... Uh, he basically put a load of money into them. So they're sort of a small club, but he put a load of money into them. They bought a load of high-profile players like David Kelly, Trevor Christie, the Tra- Craig Shakespeare played for them, Fred Barber. Uh, their manager is a Scottish guy called Tommy Coakley. Uh, but unfortunately for him, uh, the Brentford game was his penultimate match. Uh, the game after us, they fought us 4-2 to Ipswich, and he was sacked and John Barnwell took over. Um, the year before us, 86-87, they had a good FA Cup run. They beat First Division Birmingham, they beat First Division Charlton, and they earned a double replay to Watford in the fifth round. Uh, they were promoted to Division Two, like the second tier in 87-88 for the first time since 63 via the playoffs. They beat Bristol City then. But then uh, second division, they were relegated. Uh, they were promoted the season before to Division Two, uh, but then Ramsden business empire collapsed the same season. So... Uh, when they played Brentford, they were actually rock bottom of Division 2. And that's a division that had West Brom, Chelsea, Blackburn, Watford and Man City all at the top. So that just gives you an idea of what Walsall were. They were a lot of team, they had a bit of money, they rose up a little bit. They weren't doing particularly well when the Bees played them. So in principle, it was a good game for us. But still, it was a tough game, Alan, wasn't it? Yeah. Again, you've got to go away from home to, uh, as you said earlier, it's irrelevant really of league position. You know, they're expected to win on home turf, add some top players. And we've had to go there. I mean, you said earlier about a team, you know, scrapping it out sometimes. But look, if you look at the cup run, you know, we've had to go and scrap it out at some dirty places, really. You know, and Walsall was one of them. Um, and we scraped a draw. I think Jonah lobbed the, the keeper. Am I right? We went one nil down, and then he loved the keeper. Um, and they were playing at also their old stadium as well, which was um, Fellows Park. 
Bellows Park, that's right, again, which Bellows Park is like, again, park, it was like Griffin Park, wasn't it? It wasn't as nice as Griffin Park. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that proper old school feel to it. You were on the terraces behind the goal, which was a bit of a, bit of a sprawling terrace. I, I remember there was a fence up so that you couldn't get on the pitch. Um, in fact, I remember, I remember going on that trip as well. I remember going there, it was, again, it was, uh, I'd met Bill Lambert and Len Briscoe and Steve Bones and all that not a few months earlier. But I, I normally travel with my, my good mate, Paul Cassell, and his brothers. And uh, so Bill Lambert, Lambrisco, I decided to meet them up in Walsall. I went up with, with Paul Cassell in his car. I think he had a company car at the time. You know, um, I probably had no car at the time because I'd probably just started working. But he'd been working for a few years. And so he was like, he was the one flush with money in his first job and had a car. So probably, I think it's a Ford Cortina or a Capri or something. And we went up to Walsall in his Capri. And I've so vividly remember this going into Warsaw and we said we're going to meet in a pub I've always found pubs in the good pub guide so I found this pub in the good pub guide somehow and we walked inside the pub and it was just kind of down the sort of you know sort of kind of you know again trying to stereotype and sort of kind of Coronation Street type streets of uh, of Warsaw of Birmingham you know sort of kind of and I remember walking to this pub and we were the only people in the pub um, there might be one. I don't think there were any two Warsaw fans there at all because at that time the home and away fans didn't really mix. So we managed to find a pub where we were able to sort of take it over. And it was the first time I'd ever been into a pub that was owned by um, an Asian, an Indian pub owner. And it actually really kind of sort of stunned me because he was there and he was pouring beer, selling beer, and he's going, Hi guys, how are you doing? Come in, you know, have some great fun. This is like the late 80s, 89. And also I remember him selling, instead of selling crisps, he was selling Bombay mix behind the bar. And it just kind of really just blew my mind because it was just, <laughs> you go to a football trip and this was just something that had just never happened before. So I remember that as well. And then uh, then Colin, uh, South Coast B, Colin and, and Lambrisco and Bones and Ian Foster, all them coming in. And that's I remember a little bit of a laugh before the game. Uh, the game itself, I remember little bits and pieces of it uh, not being a particularly great game. I remember getting very angry because the referee made a terrible decision and i think i ran down to the fences or tried to sort of climb up it you know as you as you do when you're kind of that age just being really stupid and then we equalized and i was very happy but that's about it for me getting that equalizer and taking it back to griffin park must have been a great feeling yeah uh, there's a good story there's a couple of stories but remember there was a i can't say a nuisance that ain't the right word there was a lad that used to go to every away every game be supporter and at the time, he must have been middle 20s, skinhead. And, it, and you could hear him shouting. I can't remember his name now. He got so many autographs, you know, but every time he was outside, he'd get an autograph. I can't pull somebody. And he come down with a fencing, and I'm taking a corner. And I've, the ball's on the ground, and he's shouting at me. He's going, Cochran, come on, do better. Get a good ball in. And all I remember is I'll follow him the ball against the fence where he was. And it kind of pinged against the fence and sent him backwards on his backside. So I kind of remember that and the whole crowd started laughing. And that's my knowing memory of that game on top of Jonah um, nicking, a, you know, nicking the game for us. So that's my, that's my memory of that. Um, and then Jonesy and I had a bet on the second game. So if you watch the goal... From the second game there's no wiggle it involved i'm calling jonesy across because he owes me a night out in browns in mayfair i've got the winner because he scored in the first game and we used to have little bit me and jonesy 
and uh, I said, look, if we whoever puts us through, or whoever contributes to getting us through the, the replay, owes a night out on the other one. And if you look at the goal celebration, I'm calling Jonesy across. And he's like, oh, now I'm going to owe him a few, an hundred pound night out. This is in Browns. So yeah, that was good. That was good. But that's what you start getting into when you start progressing in the FA Cup. That's where the players come into their own because you're having all these little side bets with, with each other, which is nice. I remember I almost missed the game. I, I drove up um, up the uh, M1 with a mate of mine called Paul Watt. Um, I used to go to quite a few games with Paul. Um, lived next door but one to my nan and granddad. So when I used to go and stay with my nan and granddad's, he, he, he was always like, like my football buddy. And uh, I used to go to Brentford with him every now and again. And a bit like yourself, Bill, he, he was he was a little bit older than me, and he'd been working for a little bit longer. And he, he had a he had a Sierra, Ford Sierra. It wasn't a, it wasn't an XR four or an XR four I or a Cosworth or anything flash flash. It was it was a it was but it was a decent newish car. And we we were driving up the M M one, and we're just nattering away playing the music. And all of a sudden, I've gone, what he, um, Leicester, that's 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 too far, isn't it? And he's, so we've got we've gone sailing past the M M6 junction, and uh, this is probably about quarter past two by the time we realised, and so we had to kind of fight our way through you know through Colville and all all those kind of places to get to Walsall. I think we only just about made kickoff. So that take it takes the fun out of the day, and then uh, as you say, like you're a bit stressed, and then the game didn't really go to plan. And I, I remember. I, just feeling relieved, really, to, to to have come away from Fellows Park with without without losing, um, and then obviously because we we beaten Peterborough under the lights in the previous round, I think we were all looking forward to another replay. Um, it was a, another 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 night at Griffin Park. It's just chatting to all the fans. We've got Gary Smith, Monty, Blondie, Colin, the South Coast B as well, you know, is that the away match as well as Gary Scammell, Paul Jamieson, Greville Waterman and Gary Smith as well at the home game. Just giving their thoughts, harking back to the old Warsaw games. Warsaw, round three. Um, maybe a slight air of disappointment, to be honest, that we hadn't drawn a bigger club with no disrespect to Warsaw. But then on the other side of the coin, you're looking at it thinking, well, if we win this, then surely we'll get a bigger draw in the next round. Uh, one all away at Walsall, again, a game that wasn't too far to travel to as an away game. Um, the Bees, again, made maybe slightly harder work of it than they needed to back in the replay, but uh, a goal by Alan Cochran saw us through. Uh, and then you're into round four. And then you really do start thinking, we must get a big boy sooner or later. Yeah, well, I was travelling in India and I'd arranged to meet my mate, my best mate in Cairo, um, and the third round of the FA Cup was always the big thing. And I've kind of known that we got through to the third round. So when I arrived in Cairo to try to find the results, all I could get was a newspaper that showed the fixtures. And it showed that Brentford must have drawn with Woodsall because they were playing at home. So, wow, we're in, uh, you know, we must be in the draw. My God, you know what I mean? And then I found out we beat Woodsall about three days later. And then it was a kind of copy of the... Sunday Express about a week later that showed the games for the following weekend and it was what Man City at home you know what I mean I mean at the time we was uh, I was on holiday over in Lanzarote with the wife and um, yeah it was exciting just um, you know the FA Cup was always exciting so um, to get a victory and move on to the next round and then um, then obviously you're looking forward to the draw so 
Yeah, we celebrated. Me and the wife were married a bunch of girls, a bunch of fans, which I'm very lucky. No, we had a good old drink that night and um, look forward to the tour. Uh, as I remember it, uh, I, I drove up, uh, which is like a bit of a rarity anyway. I think very few games I've actually driven to for these. Um, but for some reason, I decided to do that. So we've, it had to be Lambrusco and, and Bones. And I think Steve Foster as well. But he was quite young at that point. So this would be one of his first excursions. Had to sort of like break him in, so, so to speak. But anyway, yeah, we, we, we took this, the picturesque route, went through the Cotswolds and Stratford-on-Avon. And I don't think we stopped on the way. So, you know, I was driving anyway, so it wasn't, wasn't overly boozy. But we did pub it when we got to Walsall and uh, went into a pub. And I think it must have been prearranged. But, uh, yeah, we hooked up with some other guys, uh, including the Bee, Billy the Bee. And that was one of the first times I remember meeting him. Uh, I specifically recall him complimenting me on my soul-to-soul funky dread sweatshirt and of course you know i never looked back after that onto the game don't remember an awful lot about the game I, I recall what we did pack out their big open away end but um it was a good performance i thought and uh and obviously done them in the replay okay so the journey back um yeah it it, it got it got a little bit fruity um no trouble but uh, we called into this uh, pub in woodstock so yes, I had been to this this particular establishment um, a few years previous with with a few West Ham mates and uh, quite naughtily done a runner after you know getting some food and drinks and everything. Kids, you know, and uh, so I was re- recounting this to the bees. And next thing, there's Lambrusco and Steve Foster. I just decided to reenact it there and then and just sort of like legged it out of the front door, leaving me and Bones to either settle the bill or, or just follow the you know, leg it straight out after them and uh, there you go you know what can I say it was the 80s got a good result up there I think we've got a one each draw um, Keith Jones uh, one of my favourite midfield players of all time for Brentford um, he equalised just after half time which set up a big replay and I remember the buzz around Griffin Park on that night I think we had over 8,000 in that night and I remember getting in there and thinking this is going to be fantastic if we can nick this. And um, we ended up doing so. I think Cockrum scored, having after watching Blissett turn on a six-point smack, sit on the floor. Goalkeeper made a great save, and Cockrum came in and, and uh, walked the ball into the net, basically, um, to set us up a dream tie at home to Man City. Build-ups to also the first game. Um, I was working at the time, um, about 23, 24, um, obviously, the good old 0800 number being used on, um, to finance details and getting up there and getting the coach from the sports coach. I didn't go with any of my mates at the time because a lot of them weren't prepared to go. They didn't think they'd do without Walsall. And not much of a game to remember about. Or the only one thing I really remember about is Keith Jones scoring, which he, I think he loved the goalkeeper at the time. But it was, again, we've done quite well against Walsall. I thought we played really well. Got the draw up there, and it sort of gives you a little bit of hope that we get through to the next round. On the way back, it was all very confident getting the result on, in the replay, which, if I remember right, it was the week after, so it was quite a quick turnaround. The build-up to that, everybody's getting a bit more buoyant about the build-up. By then, the draw been made that we all had to round up. We had Man City as a home game if we'd have beat them. So the interest, obviously, was built up a lot more 
Um, obviously, we've done well against Walsall at home to win that game in the replay. Good crowd at the time as well. I think it was a midweek game. I think it was about 8,000 there. So, again, that was a hard-fought game. But, again, we got the goal we deserved. Second half, I remember right. I think Kevin Goffrey got that one. Um, and we progressed to the fourth round. But we were one down. Keith Jones scored with a lob. And we brought them back. And I was absolutely staggered because I thought that was, that was our lot. Fred Barber. Remember dear old Fred Barber in goal? He used to come on with a mask on. Um, and I think he spilt it and Alan Cochran put it in and we're in the fourth round and then of course chaos murder fantastic all the wonderful things about the excitement of the FA Cup Man City at home so that's my memories of the early rounds of the FA Cup we've taken Walsall back home we know you've got to talk to us because this is a different scenario altogether because yeah we knew what you know, what the draw was when we played Peterborough. And we knew, OK, we've got a fair chance of getting the fourth round. But now we've, we've, we've drawn with Walsall. We're taking them back to Griffin Park. And the draws come in. And we knew it was Man City. Now, what was going through the camp at that time, Coppers? Well, that's, it's, it's the ultimate draw. I mean, you look at Man City now. If you, when you talk to people now and go, oh, we beat Man City at home, they're relating it to seeing Man City now. Um, and not detracting from it because they were still an amazing team. But that was when all the boys are now buzzing. It was in training. Everyone was on fire. We knew we could beat Warsaw. There was no doubt about that. But it wasn't that. It's the level of the level of training goes up, the level of banter goes up, and the level of excitement goes up. And that's that's related to that. That's, that's the best way I can explain it from a player's point of view. So yeah, it's just that excitement of now knowing, hang on a minute, we're on a we're on a roll here. And that's exactly what we were. We were on a roll of not really fearing anybody because you come through those 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 crappy games and get results, you know that Man City at home, let's be honest, we can beat anybody. And we were proven correct. So the Walsall, the Walsall game, I felt we played better than the result panned out actually and to really hold on to a 1-0 win is an example of of when we were talking about earlier that's a team that can grind out a result you know a league higher and we've held on to a 1-0 win which shows a bit of character and the strength the mental strength in the squad at the time we gave a little bit of a history of Walsall I mean Walsall you know they plowed some money into them they had some decent players do you remember you know, any of the players and your thoughts about coming against any of those players. I mean, like Trevor Christie, you know, he'd been around the, he'd been down the traps a little bit, hadn't he? You know, you've got players like Kenny Moa, who played about three million games for, for Walsall. Peter Hart, you had all these players who end up playing sort of over 250, 300, 350, 400 games for the same team. Stuart Rimmer, who end up going to a, well, to a higher level as well, you know. Do you remember these players and thinking, cool, we, we've got to contain them and also beat them? No. We were London boys, mate. There was we weren't really fearful of, you know, you know what you what it's like growing up as a Londoner. You you kind of had a bit of a swag about you. Um, you know, and, and a lot of us made at a decent level. And also we had been given the our test was at was at um, Warsaw, not at Griffin Park. You know, so it was all confidence and fair play to the to Stephen that he never really the only two players I ever remember him doing a skinny on was Bull and Much at Wolves. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. Andy Much and, and Steve Ball. But other than that, he, he was confident in us just to go out and play our game. Um, and to be honest, anyone back at, at Griffin Park 
we never we didn't care mate to be honest with you we, we really didn't care it was just about we can win this and we can get get through to play city that was the main thing not even craig shakespeare no craig craig <laughs> williams brother no so this is who we were up against Walsall came went to griffin park fantastic result got the one nil win we're playing manchester city how did it feel after the game was over well for me fantastic because i got a free night out in browns so i was on a double double whammy wasn't i so yeah jones is getting changed next to me and just oh no here we go so i think i think we went straight out up there but as far as the atmosphere in the changing room again you know the the fulcrum of the team was was um we were just buzzing from that knowing and as you as you said earlier you know knowing who you're getting early on is is a fantastic feeling um and i think that just that that celebrated our team spirit of what we were all about and vindicated us really and i think well deserved more than anything um to go that far in the cup and then national deserved right is man city and obviously boys it just gets better doesn't it did you notice a difference in the crowd as well like the feeling in the crowd i mean there's a big for for brentford that was a big crowd eight thousand you know 100 or whatever the crowd was it was like over eight thousand fans there uh, and there was definite buzz that night did you feel that i've just felt it because it's really funny as as a as a footballer you remember moments in time you don't remember whole games and the same with you guys you don't remember whole games you remember moments like you're talking about you know traveling up having a beer certain things that happened people that you were with the same with a footballer and i remember taking step, uh, corners and having this feeling when you're taking the corner everyone's kind of we can do this and if you think about if you think about the goal the goal come from my corner and I was so keen to get back in the play, I scored the tap-in when really I shouldn't have even been there. But I was so keen to get in amongst it and try and get my free night down Browns that the crowd were kind of urging me on. So if you look at it, the ball's gone from a corner on the right and I've ended up scoring the tap-in to, to the corner in the first place. And the vibe that night was electric. You can feel it. It's almost like this cup run was in two halves. The first half, the first three matches are the matches that got us there to the glory games. And there were players that actually played a really big part in actually getting us to round four or five, where, you know, we're talking about other players who actually kind of really sort of took the limelight. So, you know, there's players like, you know, Kevin Godfrey, who set up your goal there. His half shot was rebounded and you, you picked up the rebound and scored there as well. You know, you talked about Keith Jones, or you talked about yourself, who scored few really good goals you know even Andy Sinton who played well throughout the whole thing but he was sort of instrumental earlier on even Terry Evans scoring in the first game so these are kind of sort of like the the soldiers who kind of got us to where we are for the for the bigger game do you agree with that well you just said it yeah that's that's a real team effort isn't it so the goals split amongst you know there's not just someone banging in the goals through those games everyone's kind of sharing the goals out everyone's having a an influence on the game and that when you look at you look at teams throughout history that are successful in any in any way it's all the goals always have to be shared about it's the only way you can never rely on one person and that's reflected in, in that cup run. i think that final whistle was roared with just as much like excitement and 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 like vociferous vociferous noise than as the goal um there's 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 those 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 results, those final whistles are, are extra special when the game means 
so so much more than just kind of another league win in a campaign you know everyone obviously cheers the final whistle when you've won but they're they're kind of not they're not celebrated with quite the same sort of magnitude as 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 a as a big cup win and as as fans as brentford fans we've we've seen both sides of that coin from knowing who you might get in the next round and then winning which we did uh, to get Man City and a few years later on we we had a similar situation where we thought we might get Chelsea after a replay against Oldham and we didn't that we, that night we lost so um, we've, we've seen we've seen the sort of like the flip of that but I do I do remember that kind of just that euphoria knowing that we were going to get someone big at Griffin Park on a Saturday and it was going to be special because we had so many away games in the build-up to that having someone at home it was a first. It was a first away, first home game since the Howes Allen one, wasn't it? Like in the first, in the first game. So, I think it was. Uh, it just made it extra special. You have been listening to part one of the Brentford 1988-89 FA Cup Run podcast, the first show in the besotted Reloaded series. Please check out part two on prideofwest.london. You can check the Cup Run article on besotted.com as well as the FA Cup news features and footage on Besotted 1992 YouTube channel. And please don't forget to subscribe to Besotted on Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, TuneIn and your favourite podcast providers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.